Good morning. We're getting into it a little late, um, so let's get started. Um, I'll just go ahead and read. Uh, we're on Esther chapter 6 today, um, and uh, I'll just go ahead and read it since we're kind of running out of time. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble getting situated. Okay. Esther chapter 6. And remember, uh, in the previous chapter, um, Esther uh, goes into the king's court, which uh, would have been, uh, would have meant a certain death. But thankfully, Esther had the favor of the king, and um, he, uh, she was handed the golden scepter and was allowed to live. Uh, so the story is kind of uh, on the up and up, if you will. Um, it, it's, it's not, you can kind of see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, with that in mind, oh, also, uh, Haman plans to hang Mordecai and builds a huge gallow uh, for that. Chapter 6, verse 1. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. This was referenced back in chapter 1. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse... Be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. Then Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wife or then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is one of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall 
before him. So, chapter 6 is one of, uh, one that is uh, uh, mainly characterized by the, uh, the irony, right? The ironic reversals that characterize the entire Bible, or the entire book of Esther, uh, for that matter. Uh, but you can really see it in chapter 6 that this is happening, and you can kind of see the author writing this, and and uh, and it's it's funny. It's it's almost hilarious how how this happens. Um, Haman had so blinded with rage and and pride of himself and his hatred towards Mordecai, builds this huge gallows that he's planning on hanging him on, and he builds this, and he is in the king's court. Uh, about to ask the king, hey, can I hang Mordecai on this? And while that's happening, the king is being read the Chronicles, the, the book of memorable deeds, which was uh, referred to, or uh, which was referred, referred to earlier in the book of Esther, right, that after Mordecai had done such things uh, as in save the king from being assassinated, from a potential assassination plot, uh, that those things were recorded in this book of chronicles or book of memorable deeds, right? Uh, so that was already built in in the in the plot. But the king reads this or is read this by his um, uh, the the young men who are attending him, and he says, well, "So what do we do for this guy who saved my life?" And they say nothing. And there you go. And and he says. Uh, who's in the court that we can get uh, to work on this? And Haman, of all people, is in the court uh, about to ask the king if he can hang Mordecai. But the king has other plans for Mordecai, doesn't he? Um, and that plays out. Um, and of course, Mordecai, or sorry, uh, Haman, uh, so full of himself and so prideful and so unable to consider the possibility of someone else having uh, more honor than him, uh, assumes that the king is talking about him, Haman, uh, when he says, what should we do to this person whom I want to delight in, uh, whom I want to honor? And Haman, assuming that the king was talking about himself, Says all these things. Oh, give him, give him a, a royal robe. Put a crown on his head. Put him on the horse that you rode, and, and parade him throughout the square of the city, and, and and announce to everybody watching that this is what's going to happen uh, to someone who the king delights in, thinking that he was going to be on that horse, he was going to be wearing that robe, he was going to be wearing that crown, and he was going to be paraded through the city with honor, and. Funnily enough, right after he says that, the king says, okay, okay, great idea. Hurry up and get Mordecai and do all that that you have said. Put all the robes, all the crowns, whatever. Put him on a horse and parade him. And I want you to do it. Because, obviously, uh, Haman said, you know, one of the king's most uh, esteemed nobles should do this. Um, so I guess that part Haman was right about. He is, I guess, considered by the king uh, his most esteemed noble. But... Haman is put on this task to honor Mordecai, his mortal enemy. So this is obviously a, a great example of the irony that is in Esther. It's probably the most 
the most uh, um, obvious example of the irony that's in Esther. And, and we'll talk more about how that works into God working in the book of Esther and how, once again, we can see God, even though Esther is, quote-unquote, a godless book. Right? So that's, that's kind of like the rundown of chapter 6. So in this chapter, there are a few things that, that we can take away. Um, and I, I can think of... Uh, today I've prepared three. I'm sure there are more. Uh, I'm sure there are other angles to look at this. But three main things that I want to kind of talk about. Um, the first is that righteousness can sometimes pay off, right? Quote unquote, pay off later on down the road, right? Righteousness uh, is not something that we do or we live by expecting reward, right? That's not how we ought to go about with righteousness. Then it wouldn't be righteousness at all, right? Because if you work, you deserve wages, you deserve uh, compensation. That's not what God's righteousness is about. But sometimes righteousness can have results, can have positive consequences, can have a quote-unquote payoff. And I think we see that with Mordecai here. Uh, If you'll turn to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I don't want to take this uh, portion of Scripture out of context. Obviously, Paul is not necessarily talking about, you know, doing good deeds and and getting something good out of it in this life. I think Paul is uh, more uh, referring to uh, an eternal rest, an eternal reward in in doing righteousness and living according to the Spirit. But I think it can also be applied to this life. Uh, I think we can generally agree that when we walk in righteousness and when we make the decisions that God wants us to make, when we make the choices that God would have us make, and when we live according to his will, we will see benefits. And that's not, this is not a health and wealth, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, those televangelists who say, you know, send in money and, and pray to God and you will, you know, be rich and famous. That's not what I'm talking about. And that's not what the Bible's talking about either. But in the sense of peace, in the sense of, you know, you aligning yourself with God's will, in the sense of things working out, not necessarily in our own ways, in, in, in what we want to see happen, but working out in God's will and in God's plan for us, when we walk in righteousness and when we do what is right, when we act accordingly, it can sometimes pay off. And again, as Paul says in Galatians, God is not to be mocked. God is not a fool. He's not blind. In fact, he can see every single one of us. And our hearts and our intentions, our thought processes, our conduct, everything. So when we align ourselves to the creator, the person, the, the, the one who, who has all the ability 
to make things right. I think generally we can say that, yes, righteousness has its benefits. Now, uh, again, we see that with uh, uh, Mordecai in this chapter. But this, this has been, obviously, been building up since the very beginning of the book. By some providential series of events, uh, if you want to call it coincidence, you can, but I would like to see it as providence. But the king is read this chronicle of memorable deeds, which, again, was built into the plot. The author chooses to specifically mention this detail uh, back in the early, earlier parts of Esther, right after Mordecai saves uh, the king from his uh, the assassination attempt. right, And... Uh, and the king is read these deeds, and Mordecai's name is in it. So Mordecai, though, he doesn't know at this point. Obviously, Mordecai doesn't know what the king is being read or what the king is you know, uh, uh, being fed in terms of information and that kind of stuff. But at this point, even though Mordecai doesn't know it, he is reaping the benefits of his righteousness. Because why was Mordecai's name in that book to begin with? It's because of the choices that he made. It's because of the things that he chose to do. He chose to report some uh, evil plot that was happening within the king's courts right? of these two eunuchs who were uh, supposed to be the king's servants, uh, and they were plotting his assassination. Right? Mordecai, knowing this, uses Esther's position of the vicinity of power. Right? She was close to the king. Using her position, Mordecai relays this information to the king. And the king, uh, the, the assassination plot is halted, and the king is saved. Right? That was the right thing for Mordecai to do. Now, did Mordecai think, does this mean that Mordecai thought that the king was a great person? Not necessarily. Uh, do we as readers think that the king was a, a great person? I don't think so. Um, you know how I feel about King Ahasuerus. I've said it multiple times. The king, I don't think, is... He, he's a weak leader at best. Um, he is a drunkard. He doesn't think before he sends out proclamations and, and uh, uh, puts out edicts that affect the entire empire. Uh, in fact, right now, we're in the middle of a, a, a storm where that he caused because Haman has convinced him that uh, for... a certain sum of money that will go into the king's treasury that he will be allowed to exterminate the Jews on this certain date. Right? That is crazy. That is not, that, it's not just bad leadership. That is outright terrible. Right? Both as in the position of a leader and in the sense of that person. Right? For something that, uh, that major, a genocide, for him to allow that, that's crazy. So he's not necessarily a, a, a good person at all. But what does Mordecai do? Does Mordecai have... Uh, I'm sure Mordecai had qualms about the king and his leadership. Uh, after all, we can see throughout the narrative of Esther, even though, again, God's not mentioned, that Mordecai has the identity of the Jew. And what does that mean? What does that identity point to? A standard. Right? It points to God. Mordecai is obviously aware and knows God and his standards and his laws so I'm sure Mordecai had a thought or two about the king. And yet he chose to save the king. He did in that moment what was right in his eyes, but not just in his eyes, but in his eyes 
in relation to God, his identity as a God's people. So Mordecai doing this put him in the book. So basically what I'm trying to say is Mordecai's righteousness allowed him to be in this position at this exact time for him, his name to be in that book, for it to be read to the king, and for the king to realize, hey, we didn't do anything for this guy who saved my life. right? I didn't bestow any honor upon him. We didn't do any. We didn't celebrate his great deed. What can we do to honor this person? And this kind of begins the downfall of Haman. Right? Because Haman, so blinded with pride and blinded with himself, so full of himself, does not consider the possibility that maybe, maybe the king's talking about someone else than Haman for once. And he says all these extravagant things that, that is to be done to the person who is to be honored without realizing that Mordecai is the one who is going to be honored. And this kind of begins, narratively speaking, right? for the book of Esther. This kind of begins this uh, upward trend of, now, in the beginning, we see Haman rising to power, right? Haman's kind of like the second in command to the king. The king listens to Haman, even to the point of allowing genocide of the Jewish people and allowing him to plan that. But we can kind of see the decline of Haman's power and a steady incline of uh, Mordecai's rise to power, right? Again, uh, of the many things to consider in this book, um, structurally speaking, right, it's it's something that we talked about before is this uh, thing of mirroring, right? In the beginning, Haman had great power, but we're going to start to see Mordecai starting to rise in that power. The difference is Mordecai is a righteous person. Haman used his power for evil, Right, as soon as he got into power and as soon as he could flaunt it and use it for his own good, he used it to uh, uh, kind of show it off, if you will. And when someone didn't comply to that, he again uses that power to take revenge. Mordecai is going to be the opposite of that. He's going to be the counterexample to that usage of power. He's not going to use or abuse that power that he gets in his incline or his uh, uh, increase in power for evil and for his own good, but he's going to use it for justice, righteousness, and he's going to use it for his people. So we're going to see that. But the first point that I want to make with Esther chapter 6 is that righteousness does sometimes pay off. Now, I say sometimes because it's not immediate, right? When Mordecai did what he did, I don't think he immediately wanted or desired some kind of monetary or physical payment or uh, uh, consequence for his good deed. He just did what he did because he was a good person and he knew what God would have wanted him to do at that moment. And he just did it without thinking about rewards or end goal. He just did what was right because it was right. But God is not a fool. God's not blind to these things. God knows when we choose to do the right things. God knows and God is keeping a record of all of those things. So when in these kinds of moments, when things comes, uh, when, when these kinds of details matter, guess what happens? When you put yourself in a position in relation to God, 
where you are serving him and when you are, uh, uh, where you are uh, a part of his will, you're going to see the benefits of that. And you can see that Mordecai is seeing that as the king chooses to delight in Mordecai and remembers his good deeds that he did. So we have to remember that God is the farmer. He gives the growth, right? And, and ultimately, it is his will and it is his story. But we can choose to be a part of that. We can choose to be a good soil upon which he can plant the crops and we can benefit off of that. Um, the second point is, uh, we kind of mentioned it, I, I want to look at Haman's self-centeredness, right? And how this selfishness is blinding, right? So on the other side of this is Haman, right, who unintentionally helps uh, in honoring his mortal enemy, Mordecai. Now, this is all because he was so full of himself and he was so blinded by his own ambitions and, and his self that the possibility of someone, the, the king didn't necessarily, you know, he didn't explicitly name the person whom he was going to honor. So Haman jumps the gun and says, you know what, I, this is probably me that he's talking about. He was so full of himself that he didn't even consider the possibility that the king might have been talking about somebody else. And he gives out all these things uh, to do to honor this person. And it turns out it's Mordecai. In Luke... Yep. Yep. Um, they understood what it meant to go against the Jewish people. It's not going just against a group of people. It's going against what who they represent. And they knew that by association, that identity meant that they're associated with God. And they knew the history. Of course they do, right? Uh, so it's interesting. That's another way that God is shown through the texts of Esther without specifically mentioning God, right? Just by the identity of the Jews, you can see that God is working, right? Uh, you're right. Haman's wife and, and his wise men, his officials or whatever you want to call them, they had some sense in them, right? And they... They, they were indeed, in this surprising moment of wisdom, they tell Haman, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this, <laughs> you know, because when you go against the Jewish people and you start seeing your, down, your own downfall, that means something, right? That it's not just a coincidence. It's not just a, a happenstance of a series of events that just randomly happen. No, this is you going against a power that you cannot hope to win against. Um, in uh, Luke chapter 18, this was mentioned or referred to in uh, or referenced in the sermon earlier. The Pharisees and the tax collector, right? Um, Jesus gives this uh, parable of, of a Pharisee and a tax collector praying to God. And you know the story. The tax collector is, is humble. He's meek. He is, he is contrite. He is broken. And, and the Pharisee is proud and he is... He, he has his chest puffed up. He's looking straight up into the sky, into the eyes of God, and he's saying, look at all the great things that I have done. Look, I'm such a great person, and I'm such a great instrument to you. And who is the good guy, so to speak, in this uh, parable? It's the tax collector. Tax collectors are obviously considered uh, sinners. Right? They're, they're kind of like the traitors of the, the Jewish people, right? people who have sold kind of their souls to the Roman government. They were hated. They were despised. They were considered sinners. 
Um, and yet Jesus here is giving the example of a tax collector um, who is humble and contrite, and that's what matters in this story. It's not what, whether you're a Pharisee or a tax collector, but what is in your heart. Right. So I think in that sense, um, we can see that that Haman is is kind of like the bad example in this. And again, there's providence, right? There's God working, um, and there's uh, things that we cannot see, information that we don't know. But what we can know is that for certain that Haman chose to do this. His self-centeredness blinded him, and 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 his blindness led him to the beginning of his downfall, where he begins to having to honor his mortal enemy. So that is our counterexample. I hope that we are not so full of ourselves, that our cup is not so full that we can't have God on the throne of our hearts. Because pride is a dangerous sin. It will blind us. Right? You can be ambitious. You can have dreams. But if those dreams take over uh, a God's position in our priorities... It will blind us, and it will have its implications. And I think we're kind of seeing that with the comparison between Mordecai and Haman in chapter 6. So um, my third point was going to be that God's will is mysterious, and, and even though we don't have all the information, what we do know is that we can make choices. What we have control over is our decisions every day, right? The decisions that we make day to day, are we going to be a part of God's will? Or like Haman, are we going to be so blinded and so full of ourselves that we go against a power that we cannot hope to win against? All right, I think that's something to consider from Esther chapter 6. Thank you very much. You're dismissed.